Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, welcome to the Car Blue Podcast live on Facebook and YouTube. Uh, Saturday evening, seven o'clock. I'm joined by Rob Warner to discuss the big three points. Rob, yes, mate. Absolutely delighted. Yeah, I'm good, thank you. I think uh, last time you had me on after a match was after we got beat at Old Trafford. So uh, I'm delighted to be able to come on after a victory this time. Yeah, it's um, what a difference a week makes, eh? Last Mm. week, Man United, very doom and gloom, which I still stand by. That was fair. Then we get hit by the Bubakar Kamara injury on the Monday, being out for the season, which was devastating. Um, But Pau Torres back on the horizon was hopefully going to be a boost for Villa. And it turned out to be the case that he's just so instrumental, isn't he? As soon as the game starts, you go, oh. We've missed a bit of that, haven't we? Yeah. Um, but a big, big result just in its own right, Villa to beat Fulham, which to be fair, Fulham away is not a, a great place for, for Villa. This was never going to be an, an easy game. Ah. But this weekend is already heightened by the fact that our pals across the across the West Midlands Wolves have done us a humongous favour by beating Spurs at Spurs. Yeah, and I'm only, sure uh, they'll be delighted for both themselves and for us <laughs> on the back of that course, result yeah. as well. And we're only a, a Luton result away from a perfect weekend, aren't we? Yeah, I'm playing Man United tomorrow. Yeah, I mean that feels like a big ask. It's interesting you say what a difference a week makes because, for me, I think it's more what a difference a result makes because I thought we played really well against Man United. Yes, and I, yeah. and I think if even if it had ended one all, we'd have come away from it thinking probably deserved to win that. You know, that was a mm-hmm. that was a good performance. We we created enough chances to win two games in that, um, and so I think there was a a lot of anxiety on social media from Villa fans fearing the worst by looking at results whereas including myself actually on Sunday night and then I think I started to look at it a bit more objectively throughout the week and was like do you know what we actually we played better in that match than we did against Arsenal Mm. you know it was almost like a a mirror image of the, the two games where Arsenal would have come away from Villa Park thinking how did we not even score there yeah. Um, so obviously the Kamara injury, like you've said, I felt like other than probably that spell for about ten minutes after 
Fulham scored their goal. I didn't really feel like we missed Kamara today, which yeah. is compliment to everybody else that was on the field rather than you know anything negative about Kamara because he's a fantastic player. Um, I thought Longley did really well on the right side of centre of defence. I'm sure we'll touch upon the goal mm-hmm. and who might have been to, to blame for that. But all in, yeah, feeling really positive. Um, and yeah, we, we lost at home to Man United. Tottenham have just lost at home to Wolves. So anything can happen in this league. And yeah, these things can happen and you'll certainly see games where Villa play well and don't get anything and other games where we get all three points and we think, to be honest, we've got a way on there and over the course of a yeah. season that should gen- uh, generally yeah, kind of level totally. itself out a little bit. Just touching on the Kamara loss, um, how did you think McGinn played today, playing in that, that more central position? We always kind of say McGinn further back hampers him a little bit, but overall, good game from him. Yeah, I thought so. I thought he was really good. I think the... The setup seemed tweaked a little bit. It almost seemed like a flat four-four-one-one, which enabled Tielemans to drop back a little bit deeper to give us a five-man midfield and not worrying too much about defensive midfielders or attacking midfielders or whatever. It was kind of relying on the tactical nafs and discipline of of Dougie and McGinn to to do the job. Um, And even sometimes it seemed like Ramsey tucked into the middle as well. So. Yeah, I, I thought particularly towards the end of the first half and beginning part of the second half, the midfield just looked completely as. Yeah, and just to jump forward a little bit, uh, you know, this shows tend to, to bounce over all over the place. I'm now jumping forward to our substitutions at the end of the game. Uh, yeah. But being able to bring on Dean and Diaby as like options with 15 minutes to go or whatever it is, it kind of is yeah. now starting to show a little bit the, the depth of Villa's squad that Luca Dean played really well up until his injury for the first and now 15 games of the season or, or thereabouts. Uh, and Diaby obviously comes in as a big money signing and doesn't uh, and starts well, but then kind of tapers off a little bit. Uh, Bailey's obviously been incredible this season, but to be able to bring those two on is now a sign of Villa kind of getting back to working their way towards having more options, I suppose. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I think the it was quite an apt moment when we brought those two on, when Fulham had brought on Adama Traore. When once upon a time, he was our great hope, wasn't he? And it's good to see that he's still rubbish. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, there's there's plenty of other players that were through, would have been through one-on-one with Martinez. You'd have fancied more than mm. Traore there. But with it being Traore, you thought, yeah, he'll get to the ball first, but he's not going to do anything with it, lo and behold. <laughs> yeah, exactly it's always easy to say that thing afterwards, isn't it? But during the game, oh, thinking, yeah, of course. please don't, of all the people, uh, for him to pop up and do something, because everyone says, don't they? Yeah, good player, but no end product. So you kind yeah. of curse him to go, well, he's bound to score the winner now. So once yeah. that's out of the way, I'm always pleased. Um, just on Martinez very quickly, and this is a, almost a wider point. I, I think I was going to bring it up a few weeks ago, but it was possibly in the game we lost, and I thought it was just weird to mention it. Um Martinez's saves with his feet is something that I think goes under the radar a bit. It's something that he's very good at. And obviously we saw yeah. it in the, the World Cup final, the you know the save that everyone uh, talks about. Yeah. Um, but he makes a couple of good saves in, in most games that kind of keep us in it at the moment. But very good at kind of making himself big and, 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 saving, and saving shots with his legs as well, which I feel is an underrated part of his game from like a, a wider footballing point of view. So Definitely. he's a good shot stopper, always good with the ball at his feet, but specifically good at saving you know, by sticking out a leg, and I've almost knocked my light over there by reenacting it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's whether it's just something I took for granted previously, or he's noticeably improved on it because I think he's kicking in general. The fact that he can mm-hmm. now play a reasonable pass with his left foot as well as a good pass with his right foot, 
yeah. for the most part. And previously, I probably would have said kicking was a bit of a weak spot for him. Um, and I think, you know, it's been more than 12 months since Una and I arrived, but it's probably been 12 months since we've really started to click under under Emery. And I think there are certain players in the in the team that you can really see noticeable improvements in their game. Something I've, I've thought of Watkins in the last few weeks is not just his positioning, yep. but how cleanly he's striking a ball all of a sudden. Mm. You know, that the finish uh, against Sheffield United, the finish, well, both his goals today, but the second one in particular, mm. he's second just one, yeah. done the keeper for power, really. You know, it was well placed, but he's just struck it so true. And then he had another one in the second half that, is just wide and again he just hit the ball so nicely and historically that's something I would have levelled at him as being like if he does he's got from a few times yeah quite often it's he's not hitting him as sweetly as he could mm. so it's kind of nice to have see things that perhaps I'd like to think I'm not the only one that would have looked at some of these traits of some of our players and thought mm, yeah if only they could do that and they're starting to do it now mm. and it, Watkins will still and, get, and does get criticism leveled at him for you know not being whatever and not being good enough, whatever it is. I, I, I've said my piece many times of Watkins that I don't agree with that. I think he's a, the perfect striker for a new Emery Aston Villa side. Yeah. The two finishes, both really good in their own right, but two almost very different styles of goal. Yeah. I, think, I think the first one, um, obviously he has the goal ruled off, doesn't he, in offside in like the first minute or whatever. It's just a shame yeah. he can't, can't get a hat-trick for us. Um, but the first goal that he, that he does score, does very well with the, his body positioning and his movement to kind of turn the defender the wrong way, but without really doing anything. Like, it's such yeah. a simple thing, but you feel like the way that he's facing, you know, away from goal and the way the ball's coming towards him, you almost expect him to stay on that same side and, and maybe play a pass back to the edge of the area. In fact, he just kind of swivels a little bit and managed to create space out of nothing. And a nice finish into the into the bottom corner that, you know, the keeper's not going to get because it's, you know, just, just um, kind of sweetly struck into the bottom corner. Yeah. Just a real nice moment of a of a, a striker who's both confident and improved on his um, craft, I suppose, for want of a better word, to just be yeah, able to make a chance for himself out of nothing, really. Yeah, well, I, I think that also echoes something that John McGinn was talking about after he'd scored against Arsenal, where obviously he turned on a six-punts and, mm, and scored yeah. that. Um, and he said after the game that it was something that had been pointed out to him and to work on, to try not be afraid to try and turn and get it onto the strong foot. And so mm. I kind of wonder if we, we might see a little bit more of that. We probably have with Bailey, to be honest, because everybody yeah. knows he's going to put it onto his onto his left foot, but try and stop him. He's like the Jamaican Arjen Robin at the moment. That chance to hit the bar in the, in the, oh. in the first half, I think, really, really. Unreal. Unreal. Yeah. Such a such a talented player now. I mean, he's always got talent, of course, but really showing it for Villa consistently that yeah. the periods before, 18 months ago, where you think, oh, you know what he's going to do. He's going to run into his man or he's going to turn back. Whereas now it's every time Leon Bailey gets the ball, I'm thinking there's danger here that he will do something, he, he will create something. And uh, him and, and Watkins particularly have probably both improved their game going forward the most under Emery, yeah. I would suggest, over the last 12 months or so. Oh, Watkins is a brilliant, brilliant striker for us. He might not be the perfect striker in the Premier League for other clubs, but for Villa specifically in the system we play, he is, he is yeah. perfect. Uh, could have had a hat-trick, probably should have had the hat-trick. Uh, and the second goal, as you touched on earlier, that's a that's a lethal finish on first review. And I kind of thought, oh, the keeper maybe needs to do better with that, to be honest. But he hits it so well that it's just nice to have a chance like to a, Like a Harry Kane type of finish. Yeah. It's just yeah. absolutely hits it so true. Beautiful. Yeah. 
Um, there's a lot of comments coming through talking about like how Villa's performance has improved. But, you know, we're not quite there yet, and let's not get carried away and all those kind of things. And I, I agree with that. Yeah. Um, this isn't the kind of the, the end product. This isn't. Oh yeah, Villa are back now. People are asking, are we in a title race? No, we're not in a title race. But we're certainly in the, the top five, top four race. You can have a big say in who does win it, though. Yeah, yeah. There was also a little bit of that as well. But there's also people saying, but what about that officiating? So let's get that out of the way because it's a topic that comes up every week. I, I do feel like we need some kind of buzzer or a, a, a slide that comes on the screen going, a referee update, everyone. Like we need. Do you to know what? I've got one. Find Go on, what we've got. You may have to censor this because it's on screen and it's got words on it. But when it's, oh, it's backwards actual... anyway, so you're not as quiet. Oh, is it? Yeah, we're all right then, so we'll be fine. <laughs> but yeah, it does flash and make a noise, but I probably won't do it just in no, case. No, go on, go for it. Go yeah, on, here we go. Let's try it. So I'll go, yeah. referee update. No, I didn't make a noise. So, yeah, that's kind of my thing for sitting in front of the telly or whatever. <laughs> I would never take it to the match with me. But... <laughs> Imagine that. Be no uh, point, no, because you don't get to see VAR at the match or hear any, no, any of it, which is no. one of the first problems. Yeah. Uh, let's, think, let's talk about the yeah. the VAR one then for um, for Moreno, his goal. What's happened there? Can you can you explain it to me? No, I don't think I know the rules anymore when it comes to no, offside. I've said that before. Genuinely, and more so, in, it's like there's different rules in the penalty area or it's just nuts. I mean, it seemed like potentially it was given offside on Bailey because their last man was marking him. But then whether Bailey's onside or offside, that doesn't impact whether that player's marking him. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think if you were if you were that way inclined, you might think that perhaps there was a bit of a, a bit of fear about Villa breaking into the top four and so every opportunity to kind of rewrite the rewrite the Legendary. script. But yeah, but I, I don't think that would would be the case. But I kind of feel like that would be better than just the the, the stand, poor standard of officiating yeah. between the like Carlos's um, Diego Carlos's getting his shirt ripped off his back last week mm. and he didn't get looked at at all. You know, and yeah. these, it's easy to say, oh, well, you know, you can't blame that on winning the match, but you can because there's momentum. It doesn't just add one to the scoreline. It's yeah, we go it's in at half-time 2-0 up, changes everything, mm. you know, and, and for me that it just looked off onside. I don't get it. I don't get yeah, it. I'd love I'm to, looking at at... the thinking. I'm looking at a screen grab of it now on Twitter in another tab, and even if the line is drawn on Bailey, which I don't believe it should be, I'm not even 100 sure that he's offside to be honest. But then he doesn't—he does not interfere in any way, so it should be irrelevant. As soon yeah. as the lines came up next to Moreno, like it's kind of like parallel with his with his bum is what it looks like on the on the still. Yeah, but he, his whole body looks the right side of the offside line. Yeah. So I just I can't comprehend whatsoever why that has been ruled out. Thankfully. It doesn't mean anything for today's uh, result, of course. But you're right; you know the game can play out differently uh, if that had have gone in, and rightly should have gone in as well. It's not; it's easy just to just go VR is crap, VAR is crap, get rid of it. It's terrible. It's the technology is fine. The use of using technology in football, I'm I'm all for that if it's consistent and gets yeah. decisions right. It's the it's the clowns that are using it that are getting things wrong. Yeah, exactly. Week exactly. after week after well, week, they're not implementing the rules correctly, and maybe the rules need to be changed as well. In some instances, I do feel that's probably the case as well. I just don't. Having looked at that goal a couple of times and seen a couple of stills of what the offside is and how they've drawn the lines in, which also don't even look like straight lines, um, 
bizarre. I don't know why yeah. that was ruled out. Well, I, I think as well, the other thing that's inconsistent that makes a lot of difference when you're looking at margins that fine is so the freeze frame, and I'm I'm happy to be corrected if if I've kind of misread it, but the, the freeze frame is taken and the ball is still depressed on Ollie Watkins' head. Mm. So in theory, it shouldn't be until it's left his head that the screen is frozen. Mm. But that then brings you on to another issue with VAR, that it's 60 frames per second and real life is a lot faster than that. Yeah. So, you know, he was... Because Moreno was moving away from goal, then the longer it is from the ball about to leave Watkins' head, the more onside Moreno's going to be. Yeah. What I also don't, don't understand as well is if it's, I mean, we're getting into the, the nitty gritty here, something that, like I said, ultimately doesn't matter. So if you're not watching this live and want to skip forward the next couple of minutes, I would understand. <laughs> um, what advantage is Moreno gaining from being offside in that position or not anyway? Do you know what I mean? If he's six inches to the other side and he's onside, he's not gonna. It's not harder to score from that position. It's not like he's got, you know, he's getting just past the defender who's level with him and he's offside for that yeah. reason. He's out muscled them by six inches and that's got him forward. There's no one around him. He's gonna score yeah. anyway. Being six inches this way or that way shouldn't have an impact. I know whether it's offside or not is a different thing, but if it's not giving you a, a physical advantage in the game anyway. I don't know what the need is to even flag that in the first place, if that makes sense, which I don't think Yeah, I, I do get that, but I also think that then becomes subjective. Yeah, to, maybe, yeah. You know, well, the, the angle of the cross beca- perhaps becomes a little bit more mm. kind of helpful if he's standing in one place than another. You know, presumably he's standing where he is because that's where he thinks he's going to give him the best opportunity of being on side and scoring a goal. Um, which turned out that it was the best place for him to be. But unfortunately, the officials looked at it wrong. Um, I'd love for the the nuance and the subjectivity to be taken out of it. I've seen uh, AI versions of offside that seem to really make it very, very clear. Um, But I think as a lot of people are saying in the in the comments, just to have some transparency to hear what's what's going on, because we know they can do it because they've provided it to Sky when they've made mistakes afterwards. Yeah. Because um, also, you know, we're saying, like, why are they looking at Bailey's not interfering? If in the, the VAR room and the assistants and the referee involved in the match do think he's interfered, rightly or wrongly, if that's their opinion of what they think they've seen, then I'd kind of go, well, I don't think he has interfered, but if that's what they believe has happened in the, yeah, in the moment, yeah. at least I'd understand it then, but just kind of us both guessing and everybody guessing of what have they actually looked at and we can't hear anything. It's just, yeah, very, very grateful that it's not cost us this afternoon is my, my main takeaway from that. But yeah. again, well, time and time again, the penalty, non-penalty call as well. Penalty is the other one I wanted to mention quickly to get it out of the way as well. Stonewall, isn't it? That oh, I don't yeah, know who the defender was, but on Ollie Watkins. Yeah. If, that's, if that's on the halfway line, it's a foul. So why is it yeah. not a penalty? Yeah, ludicrous. <sighs> ludicrous. Although if it had been on the halfway line today... It, it probably wouldn't have been a foul, or it might have been. Who knows? Yeah. Um, I thought the referee started off all right, to be honest, and I wanted well, I him to do okay, well because yeah. he's, yeah. you know, the youngest Premier League referee of the season. And I thought well, perhaps he, you know, he won't be weighed down by everything else, all the all the baggage that the experienced officials have got. But yeah, it just seemed to get away from him a little bit. It was almost mm-hmm. like I don't know whether the the offside goal weighed on him or whatever Maybe. I don't know but his, his performance seemed to deteriorate to the point at the end he'd almost completely lost control mm. let's turn to some positives then and talk about the, the actual yes. football rather than the referees uh, I've picked out three stats 
for you, Rob, that I want to read out that will give us opportunities to pray some, uh, to heap some praise on, on a couple of individuals. The first of which is Ollie Watkins. Let's talk about him as we've mentioned his goals already. Uh, yep. Ollie Watkins, these are from AVSC Stato, by the way, on Twitter. Ollie Watkins has been directly involved in 20 goals in 24 away Premier League appearances for Villa under Unai Emery. Only Dwight York in 95-96 has registered more goal involve- involvements in a Premier League season for Villa, 27, than Watkins in 23-24. So far, 23. So he's yep. only got to get another four goal contributions this season to be to, to beat Dwight York for contributions during a season. Um, but 20 goals in 24 away games feels like a big big record as well to have to, yeah. have to rely on him and, and get a goal goals away or goal involvement uh, it says goals okay. 24 goals in 24 away appearances which again that's massive isn't it if it does yeah. feel like it should be goal contributions yeah, I mean, if, if contributions I'd still you'd still <laughs> yeah. give, him a, give him a bunch of flowers for that it's uh, yeah. yeah superb and I think you know we've talked about him before I think he, he does miss chances but he's so alive that he perhaps gets chances to miss that a lot of strikers wouldn't get. Mm. Um, I did feel a little bit that some of his contribution when we uh, were trying to hold on to the ball and the same at the weekend wasn't as strong as I've seen him. It seems to be bouncing off him a little bit again, but sometimes with him, that's just that's just confidence really. And he's, yeah. he scored two today, so I'd like to think that going into next weekend's match, you'll be absolutely full of confidence and we might see one of those games where everything that comes up to him sticks to him like glue and then hopefully he can bag another two or three or four. Yeah, there's obviously all this talk about him being a, a streaky striker and he will score in three or four games and then not score four or three or four games and, and not contribute and look a little bit isolated, which can be the nature of a striker that if the service isn't there, that's also a problem. But you're bang on in what you say that he will be involved in creating chances almost for himself that maybe some other strikers, they're not missing those opportunities because they're not even getting them in the first place. Would that be yeah. a concern to you at, any, at all that he does go on periods without scoring? Or that he does, you know, maybe miss three chances before he scores one, or he not bothered as long as he's. Um, I think I'd be more bothered if we were a team that didn't have other players scoring goals around Mm. it. But realistically, there's goals popping up from all over the place, and not by chance. It's not. Oh, Moreno's popped in a screamer, so that's his goal for the next ten yards. We're getting players into goal scoring positions. Cash could have scored. Uh, potentially last weekend, I think he had a, a decent effort against United. Longley probably should have scored a header from a, a corner today as well. So we we look dangerous with those. Any of the midfielders could pop up with a goal. We might score yeah. from a free kick. So you'd rather he was scoring every week, but it, it's no, um, yeah, it, it's not just an accident that we've got other players that are, that yeah. are scoring goals and covering for him. Yeah, and even if he doesn't get the assist in someone else scoring, he's still involved in Villa's forward play that has led yeah, to, yeah. more than likely led to somebody scoring a goal elsewhere. Yeah. Uh, it's 13 Premier League goals for him now and still 10 assists, uh, level assists with Kieran Trippier. So that's 23 goal involvements in the Premier League in 25 games, which yeah, it's kind of, yeah it's we talk about the only player that's got more, Mo Salah has scored one more. Salah's got 15 goals, so two more and nine assists, so one oh. less. So that's yeah. uh, Salah takes penalties. 26. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that is another thing. Uh, obviously, no no penalty goals from, from Watkins. Which even um, if you took out penalties, you could argue there'd still be no penalty goals from Watkins. <laughs> yeah. 
the second individual I wanted to heap praise upon is Pau Torres, of course, somebody that we've been waiting to come back for what feels like, what, six weeks? Is it seven weeks? Oh, just before Christmas, I suppose, whatever that would be. Um, Pau Torres had more touches, 86, and completed more passes, 58, than any other player on the pitch today. That was yeah. from... Um, was that John Townley who tweeted that I think possibly um, what a footballer oh, pure and simple just unbelievable when you think that he's he's been out injured for ages um, and I think before Christmas when we talked about him and, and somebody asked somebody had written in and said is he is he better than Paul McGrath or where do you rank him alongside Melberg and, and Larson mm. uh, performances like that just Unbelievable! It's like Paul McGrath and Gordon Cowan's rolled into one footballer, and his <laughs> his calmness, you know, the the impact that that has can't be understated. His the the calmness that he brings to to probably the players just in front of him as well when mm-hmm. they've got the ball, knowing they can turn around, play it back, and it's still going to end up in a in a progressive action. Just outrageously good footballer and yes sometimes he'll get done for pace but part of that's just the nature of football is attackers tend to be quicker than defenders through especially through the middle so you know but his, his passing is just a nonsense I think there was was it Tottenham away that he played he'd not been in the side very long and I think he completed 97 successful passes or something um, yeah, joke, isn't it? <laughs> yeah yeah well I was out for I'll do a name drop here. I was out for coffee with uh, with Jamie Carragher the week oh, after that game. Um, oh, yeah, of all people to to be able to talk to about um, about central defenders, and I chucked that stat at him of how he was ninety something passes he'd made, and he just come. He was like, "What? That's unbelievable." You'd expect that from a world class midfielder. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. His numbers rack up to those of if you if you know you hit, hit his position and and his appearance. So he's a he's a tall footballer who plays at the back. You think those numbers there are diminutive little midfielder who, who pings back passes around and sits on the halfway line and yeah. and d- dictates play. Yeah, he's a, he's a great footballer. And come on, it's no coincidence, is it, that Villa's poor run of form, if you want to call it that, coincides with Pau Torres missing. When was the last time he played? Arsenal, yeah. Man City, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah so you yeah. know. No coincidence, as I said. Obviously, we've been hit with different injuries and we should have beat Man United and whatever else, but uh, Pau Torres in that team, consistently, if he'd not missed the last five, six, seven games, whatever it is, we'd have got more points than we did. So he's yeah. crucial to us. And I'm glad that it was kind of forced upon us, I would imagine, for him to have played today with Callum Chambers being the only other option with Diego Carlos out. But he has been around training now for a couple of weeks mm-hmm. and, and working his way back. I was concerned when I saw his name on the team sheet that if we've had to throw him in here and he's still only 75% and we don't see a very good Pau Torres, we has to come off after an hour because he's not quite ready. How does that affect us? For him to play as well as he did and complete the game as well is encouraging that he is yeah. back to, to full fitness and will hopefully remain uh, fully yeah. fit for the rest of the season because he's that he's that important to us. So here's, one, here's one for you then, bearing in mind we've <laughs> heard uh, rumours of Tyrone Mings potentially being back in training. If we've got all of our defenders fully fit and up to game scratch, who's your back four? <laughs> um, That's a great question, isn't it? I would, I would. Oh, is this ever going to happen? Probably not. But I wonder whether there's a a, a, a defence that could be made up of Mings, Torres, Conta and Carlos, and you play the four centre-backs that Man City would do, and mm-hmm. then Conta plays right back, 
and Mings or Torres plays left back and you have that ability then to kind of switch to a back three on either side in the same game. I don't know whether you could do that or not, whether that's too much, whether one of those has to drop out, yeah. and in which case is it then Mings left back, Torres and Conza centre back and somebody else right back? I don't know. That's a very yeah, difficult question, but it's a good, it's a good position. Yeah, it's a good headache to have, isn't it? To have that many quality defenders in in one position. We said yeah. in the preview show, I think that if most other clubs, even right up to the top end of the Premier League, were playing their fourth and fifth choice centre halves, which Diego Carlos and Clement Longley effectively are, you would see a lot less quality throughout some other clubs in the league, where that fourth or certainly the fifth choice might be a youth academy player. Or somebody yeah. with very little professional appearances uh, at the, the the top level, for Villas to for their centre half to kind of be so depleted and still have somebody of the, the level of Clement Longley and Diego Carlos is still still pretty good, um, yeah. but not as good as Conso and Torres or Mings and Carlos or whatever it is. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I could well imagine a a three of the a three central defender setup. Which you know, obviously, we've had a little bit of a go at, mm. um, but I could well imagine that with with Torres uh, playing as the central of the three, with Mings and Concer either side. So you've got the pace and the aggression, mm. um, and then as Mike Warmbolder said in the comments, that then Torres can step up into midfield. So you then yeah. effectively, you know, could could play as a flat back four with an anchor man in in some phases of play, or a, a three with attacking wing backs or. Mm-hmm. You know, just I think the the quality of the quality of footballers we've got around the club, irrespective of position, the fact that we talked earlier about well, what did we think of McGinn in the centre of midfield? Well, yeah, he did great today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you know, it just shows how versatile a lot of these players are. Tielemans playing off the striker, Bailey on occasion today was behind Matty Cash when it came to came to defending. You know, for as much as he's improved. Um, his game and his consistency going forward. Look at his defensive responsibilities now, and how he how he covers and tracks back. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it's it's exciting to see, and we are less than one full season into the Unai Emery era, and it's whatever happens. Same with the defeat against Man United, we'll probably lose against somebody rubbish by the end of the season as well. But it's all just part of the part of the journey, and at the moment, the destination's looking pretty good. I must say. Yeah, totally agree. And there was, before we do my last stat and wrap up the show, there was a comment earlier on, I don't know if I can find it, there's that many asking about the warm-up tops that the, the squad were wearing before. Uh, it was obviously for Bubakar Kamara, rest fort. It's my best French accent. Uh, rest yeah. fort, Buba, which is stay strong, Buba. Yeah. Uh, obviously, you, know, you see these things quite a lot, don't you, with a serious injury. I think there was one for Mings at the start of the season and possibly Wendy as well. Uh, yeah. The squad kind of have a picture together with their with their, their shirt in support for the teammate, which is nice to see uh, in bad, obviously, circumstances that I'd rather these shirts didn't have to exist in the first place, of course. But yeah, yeah. a nice touch. Um, yeah. I find Go on. Were you going to say something about that? Or can I, make no, one? I was just saying, yeah, I think it is a, a good thing. If I was going to say something, it would be, I think the impact of Wendy have been able to be back in amongst the squad for him mm-hmm. and the squad over the last couple of months. Hopefully it'll be the same with Mings being back in there, hopefully for Kamara before the end of the season, if they can get him into Bodymore Heath, into the dressing room on match days, because they all deserve to be part of it. Mm, so, yeah. You know, I think it's good that these players that are injured get to stay included. 
Mm, yeah, me too. Uh, my final start. Can you guess who I'm going to heap praise upon? Uh, the fact that you've asked me to guess suggests it's going to be somebody unorthodox, so it might be Matty Cash. <laughs> no, it isn't. I thought that you'd go the other way, and it's the obvious answer. It's Unai Emery, of course. Okay. It's somebody that we speak about every single week in glowing yeah. terms. Uh, in his first 50 Premier League games in charge of Aston Villa, Unai Emery has accrued 30 wins and 98 points, five more victories and nine more points than any other Villa manager. I was doing so well. Five more victories <laughs> and nine more points than any other Villa manager in that milestone game in the competition. Yeah. 30 wins out of 15, almost 100 points is some yeah. going, isn't it? <laughs> that shouldn't be any surprise to anybody. We've been very good, but to see it in kind of black and white like that is, yeah, that's pretty special. Yeah. And, you know, when you think that he's had, I'd need to sit down and do the maths on this one, but in terms of league football, he probably had more months of a team that wasn't his than a team mm. that is his, if, if yeah. you see what I mean. He, he's, he had longer in charge in the Gerrard season than he's had this season, I think. We're about yeah. the same, maybe now. Yeah, probably about the same um, now. You know, and, and he's still been churning out that level of output. The squad still isn't exactly where he'd want it to be. The style of play still isn't exactly where he'd want it to be. But the incremental differences is just, just frightening. And I, and I think... It was interesting. I watched you and you and John lamenting the the loss of Kamara uh, the other night. I'm surprised you weren't wearing tops with rest fort booba written on it. Uh, but uh, in the post, mate. There, there was a part of me that was that was thinking, do you know what? I feel like Emery's going to have this covered somehow, and what yeah. it might do is create a different formation, a slightly different system that then becomes less predictable for the opposition because suddenly mm. we're doing something different, and I feel. Like that's potentially what happened today because that was, to all intents and purposes, a four-four-one-one in mm. in most of the game in my eyes. And to be fair, there's going to be games where we feel like we don't really need Kamara in a strange way, where we dominate the ball and we're not really under the cart yeah. and we don't need somebody to break things up. And there'll be other games throughout the season where we think, oh, we really could have done with Kamara in there today, and that's you know, the nature of what's happened. But yeah, uh, you, you trust Emery to to kind of get the best out of what we've got remaining. Yeah. Uh, Declan says in the comments, didn't Emery say it'd be unlikely to see Mings or Brendier again this season? Yes, on the pitch, they will be very unlikely to contribute if it is, you know, it's they might be on the bench for the last couple of games of the season, maybe it's probably the best case scenario. Tyra Mings coming on for 10 minutes in the Conference League final when we're 5-0 yeah. up, you know, maybe something like that. A bit of a Nigel Spink cameo. <laughs> but being around Bodymore and around the, the lads and getting involved in sessions and stuff is something that will give them a massive boost. And as you say, Rob, to be involved in, in hopefully something special for Villa in the remaining 12, 13, 14 games in the Premier League, you want them to feel like they're part of it, even though they've not been able to contribute on the pitch. And I think that's where we're coming at more so than I'll bring yeah. might be back for April and be able to be involved in the running. I think it's, yeah, it's very totally. unlikely. Yeah, it's it's having them involved with the the spirit of everything that's going mm. on. Just to end then quickly, Rob, that's Villa's 25th Premier League game. There's 13 left to go. 15 yeah. wins, four draws, six defeats, a goal difference of plus 19, which is uh, five better than Spurs's, and 19 better than Man United zero, which is pathetic. Uh, 49 points, that's season's up to fourth place. Two points clear of Spurs with the same amount of games played. Uh, eight points, again, clear of Man United, but they play Luton tomorrow at Kenilworth Road, so come on, Luton. Um we were talking with is it Neil, I think, in the week about kind of what Villa need to do to hopefully finish top five. And it's 68, 69 points or something like that as an average is usually yeah. fifth. And then 72 or something was an average for, 
fourth. So Villa are on 49, so we need, what, another 20 points will get us to 69. Um, 21 points will get us to 70. So let's say 70 points is a, is a kind of a target almost for that's probably going to get you top five, if possibly top four, depending on, you know, if you take three points away from Spurs when we play them in a few weeks, for example, that would obviously be be massive to going for top four as well. That's only seven wins from 13 games. Yeah. Which when we talk about like Emery getting 30 wins from 50, seven wins out of 13 doesn't really sound like that difficult. And I don't mean that in an arrogant way. No. We've got plenty of games left at home. There's plenty of winnable games. There's plenty of opportunities for us to take points off people around us, like Spurs. And look and look at Tottenham's April, where okay. they've got... <laughs> but by all means, look at it. Uh, so I think they've got Newcastle away. They Ooh. have West Ham away on the 2nd, Forest at home on the 6th, Newcastle away on the 13th, Spurs, uh, Man City at home on the 20th, Arsenal at home on the 27th, and then Liverpool away on the 4th of May. Yeah, so it's those last four games there of April going into May. Newcastle, Tottenham, uh, sorry, Newcastle, Arsenal, City, Liverpool. You know, that's that's a hard run of games, that. And they've shown that they can lose at home. They've shown that today. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the former Arsenal are in, you know, they could quite happily give them a, a slap in on their own patch. So... So what, yeah. how do you kind of, if I have to ask you now, is almost like a bit of a time capsule We're here in February. We can reassess this maybe at the end of the season. If Villa are to aim for 70-odd points, which, as I said, is, is seven wins from 13, which in my head, I'm, maybe I'm convincing myself of something that's more difficult than it is, but I think that's very much achievable to get seven wins. Yeah. Um, how would you kind of predict the, the end of the season going, will we do as many as that? Will we do fewer? How do you think it goes? You know, mate, I'm always reluctant to commit to anything on tape. But uh, Yeah, would you back, like, even if we got seven wins, if Man United get 10 wins from, from 14? They're not, enough, ca- they're not catching us. They're oh, not. I'll bold. say that. I, I agree, but it sounds bold, doesn't it? No, it does. It does. But then in, in the harsh light of day, we've given six points since we beat Arsenal. And as as it stands today, the difference between the two clubs is still the same in the table. I know they've got the game in hand tomorrow. But, you know, they've supposedly been on this rip-roaring run and we've been woeful since we beat Arsenal. And yet they've made three points on us, having beat us mm. twice. Yeah. So I'm not, I'm not worried about them. I think it's more... I think the top three will shake itself into whatever order. I feel like it's us and Tottenham for, for fourth and fifth. Mm-hmm. And you're looking at really Newcastle and, and Manchester United for uh, sixth and seventh. Obviously, Brighton or want to throw their hat into the ring for that as well, which you know they've they've started to pick up again. So, yeah, I I think it's it's all there. It's up for grabs. I, I actually feel, despite in the last seven days we've won one and lost one, I feel a lot more confident than I did. After the after the Chelsea Cup game, mm. which yeah. that's looking more and more like a blip than anything else. I know we've had some disappointing results, but we've also won games that historically you'd have thought would have been sticky for us: Brentford, Fulham, yeah, things like that. Which so my old Villa head looking at thirteen games to go says, "Oh, you know, we'll probably win four or five and not quite get there." But the, the track record over the last year, not just this season, over the last year, mm. suggests otherwise. 
Um, I mean, we're we're a one in two, aren't we? Give or take in terms of in terms of wins or two yeah. points per game near enough. So yeah, that would be twenty six points from thirteen, which would be more than enough. So even if we're and, doing worse than we have done over the last however long, then I still think we'll be enough. Like I don't care about fifth getting it if we finish fourth. Yeah, I'd rather it wasn't to be honest because I'd rather not have Spurs finish fifth and get it. But if we finish fifth and that's Champions League. Absolutely happy days. I'm, I'm, I'm all for that. It'll be yeah, an incredible yeah. season. But I, as much as I was saying last week, I'm kind of really disappointed and downbeat. And I was. It was probably silly of me to get too downbeat when there was still 14 games to go. I still think fourth is doable. Yeah, and we, have to, we, we have to beat Forest next week. We probably yeah. have to beat Luton. We definitely have to not lose to Spurs at Villa Park. But if yeah. we were to win the next four, which sounds like a big task, and it would mean, it would mean winning five in a row, we'd be favourites for top four at that stage because we'd just beaten Spurs. Yeah. So I think fifth, if we if we do win the next three before we get to Spurs, I think we'll probably be almost not nailed on for fifth, but we'll be well in contention for it. Um, but fourth, I think, is still still achievable. And, you know, I'm very up and down. If we if we lost the next two, for example, I'd be more worried about, oh, yeah, God, of Man United will catch us. But there's yeah. some winnable games in there. If we go yeah. into those with that mentality of we're better than this team, if we play to our potential, we should be winning. That should be enough to see us get seven wins or six wins and a couple of draws, and that'd be enough to give you a good shot at getting up there. Yeah. I mean, realistically, looking at <coughs> looking at form, and if I was to try and look at it objectively, realistically, in two weeks' time, we could be two more wins further down the road, and then you're looking at five from 11. Mm. And then if we do then beat Tottenham at Villa Park, then do we still even need to win five or four more? Couldn't can well, we get yeah. away with winning three more? Because then potentially, assuming they match our results, um, then we're uh, yeah we're, we're then five points ahead of them and with a better mm. goal difference. So between now and the end of the season, without doing the the full calculations of how many do we need to win, you know, as, if, as long as we match. Tottenham's output between now and the end of the season, we finish fourth. And even if we lose two and they draw both of them, mm. we finish fourth. Gives us a bit of wiggle room, doesn't it? But that yeah. shows how crucial these next couple of weeks really yeah, are. So it's just if, week, if we're playing against teams we have to beat, really. Yeah, just week on mm. week, every, every week, whatever Tottenham do, as long as we at least match it, we'll finish fourth. It's as mm. simple as that. Unless yeah, we're both play. losing every week, <laughs> which ain't going to happen. Yeah, fair play to Wolves for doing us a huge favour. Yeah, Spurs have got Crystal Palace next week at home, which I, I'd back Spurs to win that. Uh, then they don't play. Uh, no, sorry, they don't play next week, and then the game after is Crystal Palace, and then Villa. Uh, then they've got Fulham, Luton, West Ham and Forest, which, are, again, I'd be looking at that run as a Villa fan thinking they're winnable fixtures for us. But then they go into the period we spoke about earlier where they're playing teams right up around there, Arsenal, Man City, Newcastle, uh, Liverpool. Yep. I'd expect Spurs to be losing some of those games in the, in those, in the uh, corresponding fixtures that Villa have. I'd expect us to be picking points up as well. So without getting too far along of like, oh, we'll win here and they'll lose there and really like dotting it out uh, specifically, I think we've got a really good chance of finishing in the Champions League. And yeah, yeah. There's the a reason it's last called... week, despite the result, was 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 positive to was enough to be positive about. Um, but to go there today, which is not an easy ground for Villa, uh, Fulham is not an easy team for us. It's not yeah. an easy game. Fulham are, Fulham are decent enough. That, that could have gone another way. Obviously, their goal was a, a lapse in concentration for us, I thought, and probably shouldn't happen. Um, but, you know, again, you've seen that result go the other way for Villa. Anything 
a Champions League team. They they go there and they just win, and it's not even a question. And that's what we've done basically. Yeah, and we will be how we've seen other teams in the past, where it doesn't matter what Spurs do or Newcastle, what they do in their result. When they check the fixtures at full time, they go, "Villa oh, have won again." Like, whatever we do, it doesn't matter. Villa just keep winning, and that's yeah. that's the club we need to be. Just relentless. Yeah, and there's a reason. There's a reason it's called doing a Spurs because. You know, and have are they potentially on the brink of doing a Spurs having lost today? You know, for, <laughs> we think we have the ability to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. Mm. You know, everything down to food poisoning for them has, has cost them places <laughs> in the Champions League yeah. over the last fifteen years. So, you know, I, I think we're I think we're in a really strong position, and everyone's still talking about it's Tottenham's to fourth places, Tottenham's to lose, or Man United's to snatch. People still aren't really taking a mm. seat, apart from the people that matter, and they're all in Bodymore East six days a week. Yeah. It would feel like spiritually uh, satisfying, wouldn't it, to do one over on Spurs, who obviously, in my memory, is it was us and them kind of level pegging, level pegging, level pecking uh, for I don't know two or three seasons when O'Neill was here, and they were the ones that got in and, and got the revenue, and eventually yeah. got on to move stadium and had a great kind of I don't know, seven, eight years or so, got to the Champions League final. Villa go the other way in that sliding doors moment and relegated during that time and probably further back for, for a different generation for one of a better phrase is to get one over on Man United as well who's someone who's I mean when was the last time Villa finished above Man United I was speaking to my dad about this before and it's not happened in, in my lifetime and he said uh, the, the one time we finished second and you think oh must be the time we finished above Man United. They're the ones that won the league. Like it's when yeah. would the last time have been? So to finish above Man United and get Champions League, to kind of be the ones battling out with Spurs and to finally get there above them twelve years down the line, it would feel kind of uh yeah, yeah the right thing in a roundabout. Well, we've, our last our last ten games against London clubs, we've won all of them. Yeah, that's crazy, which, isn't it? Yeah, which I think I don't know if it's Liverpool were the last team to do it or Liverpool were the only other team to have done it in the Premier mm-hmm. League era, and it was four or five years ago. But yeah, either way, I think you know my closing gambit would be if we if we think of probably the last really great Villa manager in Ron Saunders, who used to like to say, "Do you want to bet against us?" And you know, would you? What would you stake on us not holding on to fourth place now, or at least not being in there with a shout with three games to go? Yeah. Oh, it's so exciting, isn't it, Rob? I'm so glad we got yeah. you on the podcast. Uh, it's been a really, uh, if anyone's listened to every podcast for the last few weeks, or whatever, if you're a new listener of last week and thought, Christ, these guys are depressive, uh, to go from Sunday last week of the Man United defeat, then the Kamara injury, then we tried to do an episode on Thursday. It's like, Rob, we need to be positive, guys, because the last few episodes have been downbeat. To do that, and then the preview for Fulham, like, oh, come on, here we go, fresh start, clean slate, forget last week, let's go again. And then to top that off with a win this week and Spurs lose, it's been a wild six days in terms of my emotions yeah. on this podcast. So hopefully totally. people have, have stuck with us through that. It's an exciting end to the season. We're back in Europe in three weeks' time. There's all to play for. So, um, yeah, let's, let's back the boys all the way. Um, Rob, thank you so much for joining me this evening. I thoroughly appreciate it. Thanks, everyone, for watching it along live. If you're watching on Catch Up, scroll down to the YouTube comments and share your thoughts with us. Uh, I do read every single comment, even if I don't get a chance to reply. If you're a listener on Spotify or iTunes or Apple Podcasts, uh, you can leave us a five-star review. That'll be very kind. Uh, and we'll be back on Monday with the Monday show. So if you've got any questions for John Townley and I, uh, you can also put those in the comments or tweet us at Claret Blue Pod and we'll, uh, we'll get a Q&A show ready for Monday.